0: Good morning, church. You're doing well? Very good, very good. Well, it's good to see you. Uh, again, if you're a guest with us today, whether this is your first time or perhaps your second time, and you know what? I'll just go as far as saying as if, if this is even your third time, and I have not met you, I would love to do that just directly outside of these doors on your way out, and please do not leave this building without receiving a gift from us. We're glad that you're here, and we're glad that you're worshiping your Lord your Jesus uh, with us. And so if you have your Bible with you, uh, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, uh, what we're doing as a church is we are uh, in a series called Advent. And Advent simply uh, means arriving or the coming of Christ. And it's the anticipated arrival um, of Jesus. And, and what we've been doing here at Hillcrest is we have been following the birth narrative of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And we're going to continue um, in the telling of that story today, Matthew Uh, chapter 2, and I just want to say that this might be a familiar text to many of you. This may be, it's one of those Christmas texts, you know, the Christmas story, we we, we find several different passages that we know well, maybe that we've read, maybe that we've heard read, uh, maybe um, we've heard preached maybe many times, and and so this may be a familiar passage to you. Um, And there, quite honestly, there are a lot of different ways that we can go with this passage. And um, my prayer is that God would use the direction that we're taking together for His glory, for the exaltation of His Son, Jesus, and for the edification of you and me, the saints. And so, before we open up and read, um, would you join me as I pray for us? Father, I just thank You for this moment, this time that we have um, to gather together as the body of Christ, looking towards Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. God, You have brought us here in this moment, in this time, on this day for a reason. So God, would you do us the favor of speaking to us? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll begin in Matthew 2, starting in verse 1. We'll just start out reading a couple of verses. The Bible says this, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship Him. So I have three points for us this morning that I hope and pray will help us unpack um, what God would have us see in this passage. And my first point is this. Those who are wise will seek the things of God. Those who are wise will seek the things of God. So, so the Bible tells us it, these men are wise. They're wise men from the East. Now, your Bible might say magi. might say magi uh, from the East. And that word magi... There's a lot of different translations that come out of it. It simply means wise man or wise men. Now, however, this word in the Greek, magi, is actually where we get the word magician. But I don't want you to think of these men traveling to find this, this king of the Jews as magicians like David Blaine, or maybe if you're not familiar with that name, David Copperfield. These men are not that. They, they are far more than, than magic tricks, okay? And so, there's a lot of different things that Scripture actually shows us um, who these men are, where they come from, and what's inspired them. But we know them as uh, wise men, and and in fact, uh, these men are think of these men as as priest-like people. They are religious people, um, not of the Jewish religion, um, but rather a, a Gentile-type religion. But these men are no doubt religious people. And they are known to be uh, men of religion that is of the stars. So a lot of people think these men are astronomers. They're, they're the studiers of the stars. Uh, and so they look up to the sky. They look up to uh, the stars for answers. And, and so I want to just take us through a, a few different Old Testament texts that I think will help us um, try to uh, grasp maybe who these men really are, uh, where they come from, and And ultimately, why are they on this path towards Jerusalem? And then ultimately, Bethlehem. And so the Bible says, if you don't know, King Solomon. Now, King Solomon is is the son of King David. The Bible says that King Solomon is the wisest person who has ever lived in the history of all history. Outside of the person of Christ, of course. The Bible says King Solomon is the wisest man who ever lived. In fact, look what it says in 1 Kings chapter 4. It says... God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the East and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. So let's just state the obvious. All of the people of the East, wise men from the East, is very vague. To say somebody is wise is, you know, probably a compliment somebody were to come up to you and say, hey, you, I think you're really wise, that's fantastic. I hope people say that about me. But it's still vague. It only says a, a little bit about a person. And so all of the people of the East or wise men from the East is still a little vague. However, I think what we can't pronounce as truth as what the Bible is telling us is Solomon was so wise that his wisdom, his understanding, his insight was as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Now, this is a rhetorical question. I I don't need an answer. I know the answer. But how many of you have been on a beach? Maybe just one beach. Maybe that beach was only 100 yards. On that one beach that was only 100 yards, there is more sand on it that is impossible to count. You couldn't count it. You, You just couldn't count it. That's just on the space that you can walk. You go into the ocean. The deeper you get, what are you walking on? You're still walking on sand. And the deeper you go, you know, I don't go that deep because that gets a little scary, but uh, the Bible is... Now think about all the beaches on the planet. The Bible is saying that you can't even measure the wisdom that Solomon has. There's no way to measure it. However, it would seem if you were to measure it, the Bible says that Solomon's wisdom was greater than all of the people of the East. Whoever these mysterious men are from the East, They're wise. They have wisdom, whoever they are. In fact, Egypt is known as a a place that uh, did a lot of things in the world, a lot of incredible things that if you saw it with your own eyes today, you'd be like, how in the world could they have done that? People from Egypt were very, very wise and ahead of their times. So not only that, but there's a mention of these kind of men in the book of Daniel. Now, the book of Daniel has got a lot of different uh, incredible insights about it. Some things are very hard to understand, but what we do know is King Nebuchadnezzar had some dreams. He wanted those dreams interpreted. He called on people like this to come and interpret those dreams. They called them magicians, uh, men of the stars, guys who could foretell the future, guys who could interpret dreams. So suffice it to say, these men have unique gifts that not many other people have. They have rare abilities. And so the king calls for their help. And you know the story, they couldn't be much of help. So these men from the east, they're wise, they're respected, they're unique. Think of them as um, men of renown. They're priest-like men. They have unique gifting. They have unique abilities. And it's clear by what they give Jesus towards the end of this passage that they are men of wealth. You know, the Bible says that um, there's, well, the Bible doesn't say this, our nativities say that there's three wise men. That's typically what you see in a nativity scene. There's three wise men. We don't know how many of them there were. The Bible does not say that there were three. And the Bible does not say that they were kings. For all we know, there could have been 300 of them. And it's actually likely to think or to assume that there were many of them. These kind of people, they came in most likely a caravan. They had many different items with them. In fact, uh, it is said that these men traveled Upwards of 700 to 1,000 miles, so it's unlikely that they packed light. So I hope this has helped you in your understanding of who these men are, at least where they come from. Um, But what about the star? What's the deal with the star? Have you ever gone outside of your house at night and you see a star and you just you're determined to follow that star? There's no telling where you'd end up. These men are following a star. What's the deal? With the star? Well, there's an Old Testament oracle by a guy named Balaam, and who's a seer, who's a guy who could tell the future. And Balaam was asked by the king of Moab, Balak, to curse God's people, Israel. Israel was encamped just outside of Moab, and King Balak was terrified. He was frightened because Israel had grown in their numbers. They had grown mighty. They had become stronger. He did not want to face them in battle. So he comes to Balaam and he says, I want you to curse the people of Israel. And then God gets involved and says, you're not going to curse my people. You're going to bless them. You're not just going to bless them once. You're going to bless them three times. And then after all of that, Balaam prophesies. And it's clear this is a messianic prophecy. This is what it says in Numbers 24, verses 16 and 17. It says, "...the oracle of him who hears the words of God, and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, falling down with his eyes uncovered, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel." This is talking about a ruler, a king who will rise out of Israel. This is a messianic prophecy pointing to the Messiah, Jesus Himself. So these men from the east, they were not just randomly on this journey across the desert in search of a star. They were looking for something specific. These men were moved by something. If you go back to 1 Kings 4, regarding the wisdom of Solomon, King Solomon, it says in verse 31 that Solomon's fame had spread to all of the surrounding nations. And then it says in verse 32, he spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs numbered thousand and five, not thousand and one, not thousand and two, not thousand and three, or four, but thousand and five. He spoke about a plant life, or about plant life, from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of walls. He also spoke about animals and birds, reptiles and fish, from all nations. People came to listen to Solomon's wisdom sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. So this is just giving you a picture of the world coming to Solomon to sit under his wisdom, to listen to his teaching, to gain insight and understanding from the wisest person in the world. The greatest and most powerful people on the planet were sending people to King Solomon. And what do we know about King Solomon? King Solomon builds a temple For the Lord, King Solomon is—he's a man of God, and so if the world is coming to King Solomon, the world is receiving the wisdom of God Himself, because wisdom does not come from man; it comes from God, and God had handpicked Solomon for him to gain all of this wisdom and all of this insight. And it's no coincidence that the world, that the nations, are coming to Solomon. So all the nations of the earth, they come for for insight, for understanding, for knowledge. And what they're receiving is influence from God Himself. So these men are literally receiving not wisdom from Solomon, but from God. And here's the truth. If you want... Deep understanding about all of the things in life. Why are you here? What's your purpose in life? You as an individual, not even so much in your marriage or in the world or in your workspace. What is, what is the purpose of your life as an individual, as a man and as a woman, as a young person, or someone who's older in years? What is the purpose of your life? Why am I here? If you want deep understanding or insight into these types of things, look no further than the wisdom of God. And the Bible says all you have to do is seek it out. All you have to do is ask. The Bible says uh, when you seek Me, you will find Me when you seek Me with all your heart. Talking about the pursuit of God Himself. And you know what? In the New Testament, this was exactly the, the Apostle Paul's prayer for these Christians in Ephesus. In Ephesians 1, he says, uh, my prayer is that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of, the rev- and of revelation and revelation and the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. Seeking wisdom is not a new thing. It is not something new. And so Paul's prayer in the New Testament is, I pray that you would receive revelation from God Himself, that you would gain insight and understanding into the things of God that you may know what is the hope for which you are called to. You want to know why you're here on this earth? more than being a parent, more than being a, working in a job, more than just taking up oxygen. If you want to know your purpose in life, specifically in this season, in the craziest year of all years, look no further than the Scriptures. The wisdom of God is available to all of us. All we have to do is seek it. All we have to do is ask. God has said in the New Testament, in James, He will give wisdom to those who ask. By the way, wisdom is not just limited to intelligence. If you feel like you're not as smart as the person sitting next to you, and how that might be a hindrance of of how you're able to make a difference for the Gospel or for the name of Jesus, don't think that. If you think you're not as smart as the person sitting next to you, and that somehow prevents you from uh, doing incredible things for the Kingdom of God, don't think that way. It's not true. Wisdom is not limited by your IQ, your EQ. Wisdom is not limited by... uh, or it's not even measured by the amount of money you have in your bank account. It's not measured by the house that you live in, whether big or small. It's not measured by uh, where you come from. It's not measured by any of those things. Wisdom comes from God And it's available to every single person in this room. In fact, wisdom comes from and is found in seeking the things of God. These men, although they had wisdom, and although they had rare abilities that uh, nobody else had, very few people on the earth had, these men were influenced by something greater. Something deeper. Something more profound. Something more meaningful. Something more sacred. These men were influenced by something holy. They were influenced by the Scriptures. By the very wisdom of God. It's the only explanation of how they would even consider crossing cultures hundreds of miles to find this one who is to be born King of the Jews. They had to have been influenced by the Scriptures. Can the same be said about you Can the same be said about me? Is your life influenced by this book? This is not God. This is revelation of God. This is inspired by God. This is His Word. And you will find Jesus when you search the Scriptures, but it it is not God. It is revelation of God. And you find a, a relationship with Jesus Himself through the Scriptures. Is your life influenced by the Bible? Or is your life influenced by other things? Like your TV? Is your life influenced by your phones? This generation, where we are now in this season of life, we are on our phones more than ever. It's incredible how much we're actually on our phones. It's actually interesting. Apple gives this, I don't know, it's something that they offer where you can set a limit to how much you spend on your phone, how much time you spend. If you've reached that limit, something pops up saying you can, you've reached your limit, but it also gives you the option to just dismiss it and then continue searching through social media, scrolling through social media, going on YouTube, randomly doing whatever, texting, whatever it is that you do on your phone, Apple doesn't want you to not use their product. And social media doesn't want you to use, doesn't not want you to use their platform. It's amazing what influences us. What about the people? Think about the people that you hang out with outside of this building. The people that you hang out with influence your life. Whether you think that or not. And if they're influencing you in a place that is not of God, if they're influencing you further in a a way that doesn't point you to Jesus, then you need to make changes in your life. You want people that will edify you, will build you up, will help you grow in your faith, mature you in your relationship in Christ. The people you hang out with, the things that you do outside of this setting, they have influence on your life. The question is, does that influence point you closer to Jesus? The beauty about Christmas is it has the ability to do that. To point you closer to Jesus. To remind you of what's most important in your life. That's what I've been saying every week. Christmas, the season of Christmas, it, it gives us the ability to reorient our lives around what's most important. Jesus. Reorient your life as an individual. Reorient your family, your household and reorient our church, our faith family, the body of Christ, around what's most important. And that is Jesus. Here's what we know. These men were influenced by the Scriptures. And it led them to Jesus. It led them to Jesus. We'll pick up in verse 3. It says, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Won't come without opposition. Seeking Jesus will not come without opposition. Never mind influencing whatever's influencing your life. Before any of that, there is one person who does not want you seeking the things of God. That is Satan, the devil, the enemy that the Bible clearly states exists. Our 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 fight as Christians the Bible says, is not with flesh and blood. Our fight as Christians is with the unseen spiritual battle of darkness. There are unseen spiritual forces of evil that are at work right now trying to prevent you and me from seeking the things of God. You can't see them, but they're there. And they show up in ways that you could never even imagine. My wife and I were starting a new ministry uh, a couple of years ago. It's called Apartment Life, and if you've heard of it, um, great. If you haven't, I don't have a whole lot of time to explain it, but I certainly can after the service. But Apartment Life essentially, it places married couples. They put them in an apartment. And basically what you do is you share the gospel and you invite people to your church. You work with the apartments. You put on events. And ultimately, your, your job there is to share the gospel and invite people to your church. Invite people to experience Jesus. So my wife and I are beginning this ministry, and I was talking to a pastor who was mentoring me at the time, telling him about all the possibilities I felt like God uh, would make available to us for furthering His kingdom. And I was so excited, and, and um, just going in, in depth of how uh, all of the things that we have um, available to us, and how we're, we're going to you know we're praying that God's going to do something amazing in leading other people to Jesus. And you know what he did and it was so good, but it didn't come without obstacles. It didn't come without opposition. In fact, my mentor said, "Be ready. The enemy will come after you in ways that you'd never imagine. You'll start to face opposition you never experienced before." I got more flat tires in that one year than I had in all of my years of driving before. I got sick more than I had been before. My wife and I, uh, our dog got such bad fleas that we had to leave the apartment. Leave the very place that we were trying to do ministry in. We had to leave for a long extended period of time because the fleas in the apartment were so bad that our dog had got them, and it gotten so bad that we had to leave the place that we were trying to do the most work. And the list honestly goes on and on of the most... Ridiculous things that occurred that stepped in our way and trying to do ministry and trying to further God's kingdom. That's what Herod is doing. He's trying to put a stop to Jesus whether he knows of Him or not. If you're just sitting idle in your Christian life, if you're not really doing anything outside of coming to this building and worshiping with the body of Christ, you're not going to experience hardly any opposition from the enemy. You're exactly where He wants you to be. Idle. Not doing anything for God's kingdom. The wise men came. They're, not, they're on their way to Bethlehem, but there's a pit stop. So they come to Jerusalem. And they come to King Herod who is literally the king over this region. He's got the power. He's got the influence. He's got the authority. These outsiders, these non-Jews who've traveled a great distance, who were from the east, this mysterious place, they step into the king's palace and they say, where's the king? Now that was probably offensive to King Herod. That's like someone coming into my house saying, where's the man of the house? Well, I'm the man of the house. Someone came to our door last week trying to sell us solar panels. And um, I answered the door. It was noon. It was 12 o'clock. And I was eating lunch. And uh, he said, is the homeowner here? Reminded me of when I was 16 years old and I got to go get my dad or my mom to come and take care of this. I'm the homeowner. Who else is going to answer the door at 12 o'clock on a Monday? The homeowner. So you can see how these wise men have journeyed a long way, they step into the king's palace, and they say, where's the king? This had to a frustrated and infuriated King Herod. And King Herod was not a good man. History tells us that he did a lot of pretty astounding things, but he was a bad man. Bad man. And so he feels threatened. His rule, his reign, his him being in charge and, and, and as a king is being threatened. And he's about to take action. It troubles him. And here's what's interesting. King Herod was so bad that when he's troubled, all of Jerusalem is troubled. That's how bad he was. If something concerns him, if something threatens him, everybody else feels threatened. Because there's no telling what this man might do. He was an evil man. In fact, Augustus, who was a Roman emperor, said this about King Herod. It was safer to be one of Herod's pigs than his own son. People who were involved in in Herod's court or council and even his own family he had killed if it meant a threat to him being king. So that's pretty frightening. That's exactly why when he's troubled, all of Jerusalem is troubled. So he goes and he gets the scribes and and the chief priests. Those who are most informed in this book. He goes and he, he consults with the experts. And they gave him a prophecy. A prophecy that points to the birth of the Messiah. And this is what he says. Bring me word that I too may come and worship Him. That's what Herod says. That I too may come and worship Him. But what do we know in this story? Herod didn't want to worship Jesus. He wanted to kill Him. And to an extent... The same can be said about any one of us. Not that we want to kill Jesus. That would be outrageous. But we say we want to follow Him. We say we want to seek Him. We say we want to worship Him. We say we want to live our lives for Him. But there could be evidence in all of our lives that might suggest otherwise. Just a couple of examples. How many uh, Netflix series have you binge-watched in 2020? Or Hulu. How much money do we spend on our clothes trying to improve our appearance? How often do we spend worrying about our retirement and investing in the stock market and, and uh, securing our future, securing our, our retirement? Things like that. Doing all of these things that simply make life life. Always on our phones. It's so easy to get up in the morning and just grab your phone. We're all prone to that. It happens to me more than I would like to admit. The first thing that we do when we get up in the morning is we grab our phones and then we start scrolling through social media. And the next thing you know, all of that quiet time that you had is gone because now you have to go to work. And you say you'll do it in the evening, but then when you get home, you got life. You got food to prepare. You got chores to do. Maybe you've got kids. You've got to manage. And and, and all these things that make life, life. And so that time that you had with Jesus is gone because you spent it on something else. Something like watching a TV show or scrolling through social media. We say we want God, but we spend very little time talking to others about God. If we don't have anything to offer, then what's the point? Christianity is not for you. It's not for me. We say we want God, but we spend little time praying. We say we want God, we, we spend little time getting to know Him. This is the revelation of God Himself. You want to know God on an intimate and deep level? You're going to know Him on, in those ways through His Word. I said it not too long ago, don't, don't, don't place your relationship with God on just what someone says from this stage. It's way more than that. So we, do we truly, really want to seek Him? Herod did not. Herod had plans to have this child killed. There, there will always be opposition. Things that stand in your way try to prevent you from seeking the things of God. I mean, does church, does coming to church really imply that we want to make much of the kingdom of Jesus? Is that really what Christianity has come down to? You are in control of, of your time. The same mentor of mine once told me that we all have the same amount of time. We always compare ourselves. Well, I don't have as much time as that person or this, and I have this, and I have kids, and I have a job, and I have a second job. and That may be, but we all have the same amount of time. You are in control of that time. And so if I were to ask each person in this room a question, or rather this question, what are the things that you enjoy most in your life? What are the things that you enjoy most in your life? You might say, I like going to the beach. I like going camping. I like binge-watching the next show that pops up on Netflix. I like going skiing, spending time with my friends. Those aren't bad things, by the way. I like going shopping. There's a variety of different things we could say. I like going fishing. I like going camping. I like going hunting. I like my small group. Those are all good things. They're not bad things. But where on that list, if we're all being honest, is Jesus? What are the things you enjoy most in your life? You start going down that list. Where is Jesus? Because we're prone to just easily and immediately... And obviously, just put Him at the top. But is He really at the top for us? And I just want to tell you, there are things that are trying to put Jesus from number 1 to number 50 in your life. And there might be a season of your life where Jesus goes from 50 to 19, and then 8, and then 6, and then back down to 50. There are an array of things that are trying to prevent all of us from seeking the things of God. You will find time for Jesus if He is most important in your life. The world, the world around you and me is an ocean of opposition. It's interesting because Herod grabs these chief priests, these, these scribes, these uh, guys who are most informed in the Scriptures, and they, they point to exactly where He is to be born, and then the wise men go back on their journey, and the scribes are staying in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Why did they not go with them? They're pointing them to the spot, yet they're staying where they were. You know, I read this this past week, Tim Keller, he said, there's a little King Herod in all of our hearts. Meaning, each one of us wants to be the captain of our own soul. Each one of us wants to, to be in charge of our own time. Of our own lives. You know the song, Jesus Take the Wheel? Jesus, take the wheel. You guys know that song? How many of us would rather, most of the time, if Jesus was just in the passenger seat? Every now and then, we, Jesus, get in the front. Get, take the wheel. You drive. But most of the time, Jesus, just sit in the passenger seat. Let me drive. How often do we do that in our lives? These scribes, they they pointed people to Jesus, but they did not go to Jesus. Which, if you think about it, another observation in this text is Bible knowledge means nothing if it doesn't affect your heart. These men had all of the Bible knowledge. In fact, history tells us that they had the entire first books of the Bible memorized. Yet, it hadn't affected their heart. And so the wise men press on, and the religious leaders stay put. If the Bible does not point you to Jesus, then you have missed the point. If this does not point you to Jesus, then you've missed the point. We often are prone to think, I read the Bible so I'm spiritual. I read the Bible so I'm godly. I, I read the Bible. I, I come to church so I'm doing my part. And you can have all the Bible knowledge in the world But if you don't have love, you've got nothing. You can have this entire book memorized. You would probably be acknowledged and and, and placed on a pedestal if you had this entire book memorized. But if you didn't have love, it means nothing. There's an ocean of opposition out there, church, that's trying to prevent every single one of us from pursuing Jesus. Be mindful of that. Let's move on to verse nine. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that had they had seen when it rose went before them and came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts: gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. My third point, and this is where I'm going to wrap up, is finding Jesus will lead to radical worship. Finding Jesus will lead to radical worship. I use that word radical on purpose. Radical is in the sense letting every part of the Bible inspire all of your life. You, you want to spend your life bringing glory to God in all that you do. Whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. As a parent, do it for the glory of God. As you spend time with the coworkers do it for the glory of God finding Jesus it will lead to radical surrender towards Jesus when Jesus invited people to follow him he invited them to do this take up your cross your instrument of death and follow me if you want to follow me you have to lose your life if you want to ex- if you want to know what it's like for people on the other side of the world to follow Jesus, just read the book. You can write this down. Fox's Book of Martyrs. They follow Jesus in a way where it can get them killed and tortured. It's, an, it's unbelievable when you read it. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, know that the world will hate you because they hate me. It, it almost sounds like only a lunatic would follow Jesus. But the reward is great. Because when you find Jesus, you find life. They're going to Bethlehem. Do you know what Bethlehem means? It means house of bread. In the Old Testament, God gave His people manna from heaven. He gave them bread from heaven. And Jesus comes in the New Testament saying, I am the bread come down from heaven. And I've come to give life to the world. That's what Jesus says. He says in John 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in Me shall never thirst. When you seek Jesus, the Bible says, when you seek the Lord with all your heart, you will find Him. When you seek Me, you will find Me when you seek Me with all your heart. Jesus is saying, I am the the source of everybody's hunger. I am the source of everybody's longing. I am the source of everybody's searching. These men were looking up to the sky searching for answers. And it led them to Jesus. In fact, it says in in verse 2, For we saw His star when it rose and have come to worship Him. It was His star. It wasn't just a random star. It was His star. And don't think of it as just a star. Think of it as light. Jesus is the light of the world drawing the nations to Himself. It is God Himself who leads these men to Jesus. And what is their response? Verse 11, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother, and they fell down and worshipped Him. And they offered Him these gifts. And these weren't just as seen on TV stocking stuffers. These were good gifts. Quality gifts. Expensive gifts. And they gave them to Jesus. They offered them to Jesus. These were treasures. It says they were They were digging into their treasures and and out came these things. When you follow Jesus in a way that is radical, when you worship God in a way that is not of this world, you will give towards that end. Somebody once told me when I started to tithe in my Christian life, I asked them, do you give uh, out of your net worth or out of your gross? And his response was, you give God your best. You give God your best. These men digged in Giving God their best. Their worship was radical, It wasn't of this world. When they saw the child, they fell down and they worshiped Him. Their searching had been complete. They had found what they were looking for. Some people in here, you may have come in here searching. Who is God? Who is He really? What does He want with me? Even as if, if Christ lives in you, you still may have come in this room searching. What is God's purpose and plan for my life? Maybe you're not in Christ. God's Spirit does not live in you. You are not a confessed or confessing Christian, and you came here searching. And it's, I can without a doubt tell you that you are here by divine appointment. You are here because God has divinely placed you here. Sunday, December 20th, 2020, God has, has brought you to this room. To hear the message of Christ that, that He is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And the Bible says He came to save His people from their sins. And ultimately, that's what Jesus did. He died on the cross for the sins of the world. That anyone who believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's why Jesus came. To save from sin. And I don't know if these wise men asked Mary, hey, what's His name? No, but if she would have told him jesus these men are intriguing people what's that name mean to save it means to save they could have left there believing that this man really this baby really would be the one to save from sin It's only speculation but not for you and not for me Jesus died for the sins of the world. Whether you believe it or not is up to you. Whether you allow the Spirit of God to change your life and reorient your life around Jesus is up to you. Let's stand and worship together.